0: You're listening to The Private Citizen, a podcast for critical thinkers. This is episode 151 for Friday, the 14th of April, 2023. Musk kills the Twitter files. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host. My name is Fab. Coming to you from Düsseldorf in Germany. It's nice to have you um, hope you are all doing well. Once again, I'm, you know, not coming to you live. Um, somewhat pre-recording this episode, although the lead time isn't quite as long as uh, on the last one. Um, Sydney in the morning, just got up, just getting some coffee. This is a f- before breakfast podcast recording. Don't worry, I do this quite a lot. Just getting out of bed, uh, starting uh, to work I- immediately, um, and not eating for quite a while. Um, I think, (laughs) yeah, my wife once called it, uh, was it interval fasting? Um, I never thought of it that way, but uh, yeah, Uh, I guess that's, uh, you know, you could call it that. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, obviously um, we're going to talk about the fact that uh, Elon Musk basically killed the Twitter files today. Um, Well, he didn't kill it today. We're going to talk about that today. He killed it a few days ago. Uh, two three days. Uh, can't, can't, I'm working so much I can't even remember. <laughs> it's just, uh, but, you know, I wanted to talk about this. I think it's very important. Um, of course, it had to come um, when I just started, uh, again, picking up the Twitter files for this podcast. You know, my timing, is, as always, is impeccable. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that. Um, yeah, before we get into that, maybe uh, we should maybe quickly talk about, I don't know, Uh, the release schedule or something, I don't, um, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. As you can tell by this, I was originally, um, originally this episode was going to be another episode, you know, on the next thing I picked from the, from the Twitter files, but uh, obviously this, this, uh, it's kind of more important, Uh, it has to come first, this kind of, I don't know, breaking news and it can't really continue with the twitter files without like addressing this and what it means um so yeah i do, the i'm planning to have that other episode out um, in the coming week um i hope that's that's gonna work that way but as i said before currently it's i can't really promise anything it's also why i'm not doing this live it's already um i was doing this in between things it's already like hard for me to do um Be impossible to also schedule a live stream. I'm I'm happy if I can get like the podcast out, as it is. Um, So yeah, please please be understandable there. Um yeah, so um you know just just take the episodes as they come. Uh right now that's that's how I how I take producing the podcast. I'm gonna try to do it whenever I can. And again, thanks thanks for everybody who's supporting me on Patreon. It means means a lot, and it drives me to. Even though my workload is already very high, to still you know produce this podcast, otherwise I would have long given up. If it weren't for those people actually paying me to do this, which um, is very important. So uh, thanks again, and let's get into the topic um, at hand here. So um, I kind of have to interrupt uh, my plans in, um, you know, how I was going to cover. Uh, the Twitter files, uh, as I said, um, for for this kind of uh, breaking news thing that uh, surprised me. Um, so Elon Musk uh, has, has announced uh, somewhat haphazardly uh, uh, or on a whim, as he does, that apparently the Twitter files are uh, basically over now. Um, so how did it come to that? It's c- kind of a little bit of a complicated story. It's like publishing inside baseball a little bit. But you know we are here uh, on the show, talk a lot about journalism, and how I think the you know the current model. I don't have a problem with the current model. I've w- worked on the current model, so well I don't have a problem with it per, per se. Um, but like I see the the quality of journalism declining, and the uh, the people working in it are either uh, leaving because they can't handle. Um, you know, they don't want to work in these conditions and the new people coming in are just not as good or they're plainly, I don't know, not journalists. So um, I'm also interested in alternatives and one of the alternatives I've been exploring myself is Substack, you know, I have several Substacks um, that I'm playing around with, trying out. Uh, the biggest one being my <laughs> supposedly daily newsletter, which isn't daily, uh, called the Sleepy Fox. you got to go to Fab dot industries and you can find all of that. Oh, uh yeah, show notes for this uh episode of course, uh private citizen not press. They are actually the show notes are my newsletter, a uh, two newsletter issues I wrote on this. They have all the other links. Um so I just didn't want to uh, copy all of that stuff. So if you want more, you just go to the show notes private citizen not press, follow the links and you can read more about this whole thing but I'm I'm guessing you're here because you don't want to read it you want to have somebody tell you what's going on that's why most people listen to a podcast but you know still um it's all there anyway so Substack is um kind of shaping up as the <laughs> the best alternative for written journalism right now it's a uh, it's a website it's a service that allows you to basically blog right it, it allows you to write a publication which also gets turned into a newsletter and they have an app. Um, Phone app they've been moving from from email based newsletters, which you know still the core of it to like you know you can you can install the app and then opt in to not get emails if you get too many emails and you get it right in the app uh if they build chat into there, which I haven't been using, but um so uh, they also now launched and they announced a while ago well actually not that long ago, they announced the feature and then promptly released it. Um, they've actually been testing this behind the scenes apparently of course uh, with some higher up substack people uh you know writers um you know people with many subscribers i guess um to um they, they launch a feature called notes substack notes um before i get into that it's actually interesting that you know while i say like the 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 substack people with many subscribers they have a program called substack pro where you um when you when you're a more high-profile writer, not somebody like me, you nobody knows, <clears throat> but somebody like Matt Taibbi, who was a member of this, um, if you uh, if you go to Substack, um, they will give you an upfront a certain upfront payment for a year, so they basically hire you, and then they take eighty percent. Usually, usually you have a, a, a newsletter, and your subscribers subscribe to it, and so your subscribers pay you, which is why I think it's a good alternative to you know media as it is because as I said I believe in this model I've I've believed in it for a long time Um, I think journalists are beholden to their readers uh, or their audience and they work for their audience so they should be paid by the audience directly which is what Substack does for writers Um, but you know it's hard to start out you know and it's it's hard to leave an established job where you're being paid a monthly check um, to to go to something like this, you know, to take the plunge, to do what I did, which is give up uh, one of the most uh, secure journalism jobs in Germany. Actually, <laughs> everybody looked at me like I was mad when I did it. Um, to just you know strike out on my own, and um, yeah, it's a struggle. It's it's hard to do. Uh, you you lose a lot of money, uh, and and so to to kind of buffer that, they have the Substack Pro. Thing where where they where they get you on board and they pay you for a year and then they take eighty percent of your subscription revenue, um, and 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 Taibi uh, did that and and Taibi says this is why he could strike out and so on, uh, but anyway that'll come up later again. Um, so Substack launched this Notes thing, which looks like Twitter. It's basically um, like a, a an internal. I would say internal, but it's not internal. It's a public uh, uh, service. But you know, it's for Substack uh, writers and subscribers. So you have to have an account on Substack to uh, to use it. Uh, but it looks very much like Twitter, and it's kind of makes sense. Like from the notes, kind of, um, it's a social network. They just built a social network into the app, which makes sense. Um, uh, it it uh, you know, it's kind of to for writers to publish shorter things that they wouldn't put pu- put in a like complete newsletter or article or whatever. And, you know, for, for readers to interact with them. And it's also very handy, you know. Um, I have my doubts. I, I, I don't really want to go into this too much. Uh, I wrote a little bit about this on my newsletter, and I might write actually write another issue on this, why I think, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical that this will take off. But I've talked about the Fediverse before on the show, so you kind of know my stance, you know. People are not really, really, and by people I mean, you know, Twitter has millions and millions and hundreds of millions of users. Um and it's not really threatened by something like this because people are on Twitter, um, are, you know, either just using it or they're like complaining that it's really bad and, and that it's you know, Musk is the devil, but they still keep using it. And they usually don't go to other similar social networks because everybody's on Twitter, and the impetus like the, the the pain to move is quite big and then you your friends are not there so it really doesn't make make any sense which is why the Fediverse isn't taking off people that are moving from Twitter or not signing up to Twitter in the first place are just you know it's just the normal um, it's not so much immigration it's like the Facebook people this is why people say facebook's a social network for old people because you know people um that went on the internet before, you know, most of the Zoomers were born. Um, you know, the Facebook was the social network of choice at the time, so they signed up and they never moved. And so I think the Twitter generation will never move from Twitter. And younger people who don't like text, as far as I can tell, and like videos and short, and people shouting at you, talking very quickly, and um, they would probably turn this podcast up to twice the speed. And you know maybe that's just younger people in the head because you know my wife is exactly like this and she's a year older than me. Um, You know we have a a common friend who we have a um, a WhatsApp chat with. I said a Substack chat, a WhatsApp chat with, and um, uh, our friend tends to uh, she records a lot of voice messages. And and my wife Katie will will play these in twice the speed, and you know because we're both in the chat, sometimes we listen to the voice messages together, and I have to tell her to turn it down like to normal speed. I could never listen to podcasts in like even like one one and a quarter speed. It just drives me insane. Uh, my brain just can't process the information correctly. But my wife is just just goes goes at it. So maybe it's just a. Maybe I'm just old in my brain. Um, I mean, I am old, right? I'm turning 40 this year, but I'm, I'm much older in my brain. But anyway, I think just younger people, uh, to generalize it, are just moving to other social networks. So, I, so I, I I have my doubts that this will take off. But I must say, I've been using Notes for like about a day or two, and one thing it's done, I've already discovered a lot of interesting Substack writers that I've subscribed to that I've never would have. Discovered it, it's an amazing tool for discovery, and I see other Substack writers already posting uh, how many new subscribers they've gotten since this thing has kicked off. So I think it's actually, in that respect, it's really cool. It's also the downside of the thing. The the other downside of it, where I don't think it can take off as it stands right now, because you have to subscribe to somebody, right? So to use it, it's you know you need a Substack account. But you you might be reading me on there, and you might have created an account. And, you know, whatever. Uh, some, you, you might be supporting some people, you know, subscribe to their newsletters and, and paying them. Uh, and then you have an account, you're not writing yourself, but you have an account. So then you can use notes, but like to follow somebody, like you would follow them on, on Twitter. You actually need to subscribe to their sub sub stack, which to me is a bigger thing, right? You do that when you're interested, very much interested in their content. It's not like Twitter on Twitter. You might just follow somebody, um, you know, um, not because, well, just to try out what they're like, what they're saying, right? And you might then quickly unfollow them again, whatever. To me, Twitter was always very volatile that way. This is why I was subjected to people judging other people, like in some cases with bots and algorithms, um, based on who they followed. Because following on Twitter is just such a, like, uh, 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 almost a. Uh, uh, um like an instinctive reaction. You can just do it and then if you don't like the person, you cannot follow them. And of course, I don't think modern people think, like people who are younger in the brain probably don't think of it that way or I don't know because they, they tend to just also block everybody which is why I don't I'm like why are you doing that like you can just unfollow somebody uh, but okay yeah maybe maybe how people use these networks is changing and I'm just keeping up with the time but I'm kind of skeptical that Substack Notes can take off i certainly not a Twitter competitor is much too small but <laughs> Elon Musk didn't see it that way uh, when Substack launched Notes he decided that uh, and obviously it was Musk himself. It wasn't somebody else at Twitter. It was Elon Musk. He decided uh, that this was a uh, Substack was trying to kill Twitter, which is dumb. Um, and then he started blocking people from posting Substack links. So you could couldn't post any links that start with Substack.com. Uh, now, if you had, you can have um, your own URL. Um, and you know, um, just basically, your sub the substack lives under that URL. Then, um, uh, you know, and 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 so so those people weren't affected because apparently Twitter wasn't actually looking if links were, like, like it wasn't doing some elaborate check. It was just checking the URL. But anyway, this this all this kicked this whole kerfuffle off. And uh, just as a side note, uh, before I go on with this, um, yeah, this. It's very sad to me, but it's 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 really not surprising because, as I said on the show, a lot of times before, I really don't like Elon Musk. I don't like anything he's done. So I've always been a bit like I'm. I'm very thankful for the Twitter files, which I think a huge public service. But to me, it was always a bit weird because I was like, why is Elon Musk suddenly suddenly doing things that are good for society? I'm not like he basically um, took all accountability for banks out of banking with PayPal. Um, then, you know, designed electric cars and he and just went into a niche that nobody was in, pretended it was going to, you know, um, save the world, which it doesn't because it's not the solution to the actual problem that people, but, you know, that's a whole nother decision, but like a uh, discussion, but like he, he thrashed labor laws with that and with all of his companies, uh, you know, then he is being lauded for having his company that goes to space, which is really something that the government should be doing. But like, okay, uh, <laughs> I, I never liked the way he does things. Um, so I was kind of like surprised and now he's just fallen back to, like to me, I posted on subsec notes, incidentally, I think yesterday, um that you know it's really sad to me that this twitter file thing thing's going to be over but at least i can go back to my modus operandi for the last 10 years that felt very naturally natural to me which is kind of to like this this dislike Elon you know, Musk because now that he stopped the one thing that i thought was a good thing he's like back to his own old self to me um yeah so i'm not really surprised that he kind of did this but it's still still bad so what happened so um so he started blocking sub-stack links right so and um you gotta understand i don't know if i talked about this this clearly but basically the the journalists that musk gave access to the twitter files to starting with matt taibbi um uh michael schellenberger and um uh who were the other people um God, I've charged stuff. Uh, why? Why? <laughs> I, I know the... I, I hate it when I do... Like, I prepare the show, right? And then there's there's stuff I just know off the top of my uh, off the top of my head. Barry Wise, uh, Lee Fang, and David Zweig. Those are the main guys. Um, so, Mata, EB, Barry Wise, Lee Fang, Michael Schellenberger, David Zweig. I hate it when I prepare stuff, and then there's stuff that I pre- just have in my head all the time and I think I don't need to write it down and then I just blank on it while I do the show. fucking hate that. <laughs> anyway, so these people are all independent journalists and they're all on Substack because Substack is the is the thing where you do that. I, I think Lee Fang was actually at the Intercept until like a few days ago when he went also went to Substack. So these were all Substack people. Now, when Musk gave him access, he said, you know, for the Twitter files, um, you will have to publish these first on Twitter and they all agreed, but you know, Twitter is not a good publishing platform, which is why some of that stuff, like the, 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 the stuff I talked about last time, the, 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 uh, the Meta stuff I took right off Twitter, which is like, it's, it's like not good pros, right? Because it's Twitter, Twitter's not built for this kind of thing. Anyway, but they are all kind of, except until very recently, uh, until after this whole thing, uh, MetaEB actually created a special sub-stack for the Twitter files. But like, they all also published them on sub-stack uh, because it's just easier to read, and that's where the audience is. Um, MetaEB actually felt very bad um, when he started with the Twitter files reporting. I subscribed to sub-stack, I actually pay him um, because you know I, I like his work. Um, and, and he was very, very... Um, he posted several uh, notes um apologizing that he was going to publish this stuff on Twitter and not for his main audience um you know that pays him that that he feels um loyal to uh, but he said you know it's just such an important story and that was like the condition i had to agree and it's like not a very onerous conditions as far as you know usually ndas or whatever are concerned when you when you when you get stories um or other things people force you to do um, that sometimes make you would not take the story, but anyway, that's, that's another story. Anyway, um, but like you know, um, so 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 he did this still, right? Anyway, but but now he's like, I mean, I kind of like the only way I use uh, the only reason I use Twitter now is Meta said It's kind of like to promote my articles, which are on Substack. Like if I'm if I'm not posting the Twitter files. So, so he was like, what the what the fuck is going on? So he obviously had a line to Musk, right? Because he's working. He, uh, he's, he's been asking things about the Twitter files as well. Um, so he kind of DM'd Musk, um, asking him what he and the other substack journalists that that were doing this the reporting were, were supposed to do, how they were supposed to report the Twitter files. I mean, of course, on Twitter, but still, like, uh, how... Like what? how were they like supposed to do this, right? And and the answer he got back was um no, not necessarily from Musk directly, but from somebody working for him, I think. Um he got the answer back, well, just move to Twitter. And um have subscriptions there. I actually didn't know that. I had to research this, but apparently you can I missed this news when they when they started this. Apparently you can have subscribers on Twitter and then you have tweets that are exclusive to these subscribers, which is a really dumb idea. <laughs> um, I just, like, that's really dumb because, like, Twitter's whole thing was that everything's always public, right? I, I started, they started fucking up when they allowed people to lock their accounts. Like, I can understand why people do that, but Twitter's just not the platform. Go on another social network if you want to do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense, Um like that's Twitter's most important selling point, but they never they never understood that. Anyway, so yeah, that's really dumb. But anyway, he was like, "Do that," and 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 so um, speaking to Musk directly um, in, a, in a in a DM, Taibi um, said, "I'm not going to do that. I I I'm not I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to um, you know move to Twitter." For my reporting, because there's a reason I'm at Substack, um, you know, that it's a really good site for reporting. I mean, when when Gr- Greenwald left, he basically had to rebuild. He had like a web design team and they basically rebuilt what Substack is for locals just for him. Um, so, you know, Taibi was like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that that is really that's really dumb. Why would I do that? I like Substack. They, they're the good. They're a good platform. You know, I've, I'm loyal to them because they hired me. I e the 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 pro thing right for a year, and now I work for my subscribers on there, and I I like that. I like my I like this relationship. Like me, he he likes this model, um, and so he said no. Um, like I'm not going to do that. Basically, if you force me to to choose between. Twitter and Substack I'm going to choose Substack not because of the social network because but, but that's where I am that's where my work is you know I was he wasn't saying that but basically he was using Twitter only to advertise his work on Substack so you know you you, you you'd go to Substack it's also where he's being paid um I think he said um uh what what did he say um uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to I'm going to read what what he said he's like it's really rude uh, for somebody uh, to to. Actually, that's not the part I put in the show notes. I think he basically told. No, he he said this in this. He wrote a he wrote a, an, an article about this. He didn't say this to Musk, but he basically said, um, you know, I was talking to him and and trying not to offend him and basically skipping over the fact that it's really rude to somebody to ask somebody to give up their job um for something um and yeah so uh then when this happened uh Elon Musk unfollowed Matt Taibbi and posted their chat which was like um it wasn't DM sorry it was like um signal uh Encrypted uh, the, the the signal messenger. Mm-hmm. He posted like their message stuff on, on Twitter, um, like like uh, Taibi's messages. Well, because he f- he misunderstood. He thought Taibi was working. Taibi said he was working for Substack, but like um, he meant he was working for the readers. And he also said that he used to be employed by them because of the the Substack Pro thing, which was in the past. But like he was. Um, he, what he meant was you know I'm employed by my readers on Substack so I work for people on Substack um, and, and Musk misunderstood this and he was like is employed by Substack and then he posted the chat and he was like I don't know whatever he said um, which you know would have been bad enough but I, I think Taibi would have taken that like Based on his post uh, about all of that, he, was, he still ends the post with saying he's not mad at Elon Musk, which is amazing. Like, he doesn't take this personal. I mean, Taibbi's certainly, obviously, a better man than me. I would have completely taken this personal. But, um, you know, he was like, he would have probably taken that in stride. But what Musk then did was delete Taibi's threats, like his reporting on the Twitter files, which up to that point only lived on Twitter. And that's where where, where I'm mean, the Taibbi, who at the time I think still is, is at in, on holiday with his family after like working his ass off for months on these fucking Twitter files and basically not sleeping. If you watch his podcast, America Today with Walter Kern, you can see the guy isn't sleeping a lot. <laughs> like Walter Kern's fucking in Las Vegas. He's tanned. He goes for like three hour walks, comp- walks completely like relaxed. Mate Taibbi's sitting there. Hasn't seen the sun in, like, three months. It's completely, like, white. <laughs> hasn't slept. his like, bags under his eyes. Um, So, yeah, he was on holiday when all this happened. But, like, this is when it, it He's like, I can't do this. So, what he said, I'm just going to read this part from his, um what he wrote. Um It's also about how, you know, the Twitter files will continue. So, no one who's interested in continuing in. So, no No one who's interested in continued release of hashtag Twitter files reports reports, doubts it. Oh, sorry. It's early. I need more coffee. So no one who's interested in continued release of the Twitter files reports doubts it. I would have crawled across broken glass, eaten maggots, by the bucket, anything. You can choose your own self-abasing image to be able to keep doing files searches. No offense to Substack, but the idea that I would walk away from a story like that to be involved in some peripheral way with building a new social media startup is, to put it gently, bonkers. Um, I, I like how, I obviously, like how Taibbi writes. Like, um, I, I didn't know the guy, or he's writing for a long time. I didn't know the the, the, the the Vampire Squid article, the famous one. I never, like, I wasn't, a, I'm, I'm not really a fan of Hunter S. Thompson as well, but, like, Taibbi is... Or well, I never w- was traditionally, but like I like the way he writes, and and um, the more I read him, he's like, I'm a, he's like, a, I feel like I'm I'm, um, like a brother in spirit to him in writing because I I write like this as well. Um, he uses like very grandiose and and, and sometimes hyperbolic like images and shit, and I I like to do that as well. Like I I like to write. You know when mostly when I'm not getting paid when I write my own stuff um and especially in English, I can do this much better in English because I've been writing English a lot more than German funnily enough and you know especially since I've been writing German professionally for like ten years whatever but like um I like to write like this as well I like to write like a talk um anyway so so I really like the way he writes also um he didn't know that he says that that notes was like launching he wasn't one of the guys involved in testing it beforehand apparently he just learned on vacation and then this whole shit happens. Anyway he continues as for Twitter files report uh as for Twitter files reports Elon apparently announced in a spaces that these are quote done there's not much left really we need to move on end quote. That may be true as far as he's he's concerned but we still have a lot of material and more reports are coming. Holding up my end of the deal, these will appear on Twitter first. They just won't be on my account, since I wouldn't bite my ass with Twitter after the events of last week. It's not personal. I just can't drive traffic for any site that's censored me. These companies depend on our content to make money, and for years we've been rewarding all their dicking around with engagement and reality by... Uh, with engagement and reality by handling them handing them more eyeballs to sell. Frankly, if all accounts walked away in these situations, the platforms would have to cut this nonsense out pretty quickly. I agree with him. Um, I've had to be thinking about, like, he's completely right. I, You know, they've been censoring me as well, obviously, uh, visibility filtering me for years. I should quit Twitter as well. Well, not quit. It's like he doesn't quit. He's just, like, not posting there anymore. Um, I should do that as well. I don't know if I can. Um, I'm not, you know, as well known as and I kind of need to um, promote my work. But uh, I would like to. I think he's right on this. Anyway, that's that's a whole other episode. How 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 do I get off Twitter? I have no fucking idea. If you have any clues, private citizen the press, let me know. Any ideas, anything I can do, you think I can do? But, yeah, I kind of need that promotion at the moment. Uh, but I think he's completely right. And I think he's very reasonable about this. Uh, you know, even though Musk was very childish about it. Um, and, um, you know, after all of this, uh, Twitter, of course, restored the ability to post links, uh, Substack links. But um, as people have been talking about in notes yesterday, um, it's quite obvious to large... Uh, subsec publications, people running them, you know, that have Twitter accounts that are promoting the stories and have been doing this for years, that Twitter is now visibility filtering uh, the links. So it's allowing them, but it's still, um, now it's like, it's severely um, hammering the, the, the impact these have, which is hilarious because Elon Musk started this whole thing, uh, gave journalists the story, because he didn't like that Twitter was doing this shit um and now he's doing it himself <laughs> it's just it's it's like oh it's like the height of irony um yeah i do i do understand Taibi's decision very much um i think it's just very unfortunate that this whole thing has collapsed because i think it's very important um public service so wh- what's, what 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 does that mean um for for the for the show here, nothing really. I mean, I'm I'm way behind on what they uh, un- unveiled in the Twitter file, so I still have a lot of stories to get through, which I will do. You know, I I bunch them together, and 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 you know, uh, and I I will I will I will keep covering this. You know, they they will keep going as long as they have material, I guess, um, and, and as long as there's interesting stuff that's been reported, being reported by any of these people. Um I will cover it on the show um because I think you know this was a i think this was the the most important reporting in tech since the snowden revelations that De- you know tech reporting i mean with other stuff of journalism, you can say there's other important things you know wars and shit but like tech reporting generally is not very um important to society at large. Right 90% is is like oh how many cam- cameras does the new iPhone have like what does Nvidia uh, Nvidia's PR department uh, has given us that we can just reprint uh, verbatim you know that's generally what tech reporting is there's a lot of hype you know why is why is AI the greatest thing why is AI killing all of us like all this kind of shit but there's not really a lot of like hard hard and fast reporting especially not uh, you know, investigative reporting. Uh, and, and, and this, this was one, I think that, I mean, if, if you disagree, if you, if you think there was a bigger story since in the last 10 years, since Snowden let me know, but I think this was the most important story. And it was a very, very, I, I mean, I can't, I, so I don't think anything like this has happened in my lifetime. And I think it never has before that, you know, um, a, a massively influential company, not so much a big company, um, measured by money, but, like, an influential company gets bought by, like, a, a famous public figure, and then the new owner of the company, like, releases internal materials from the company. That never happens, like, to journalists. Like, the kind of stuff that came out in the Twitter files, like, only come out when there's whistleblowers or some of it comes out when there is a lawsuit and they don't care or they kind of fuck up and they go into discovery right and then and then there's a lot of discovery in lawsuits um but even then it's like for example famously the the Google uh, Oracle lawsuit over Android we we learned a hell of you know Java and Android we we learned a hell of a lot of, of about Android and that but it was also very limited because they try to limit this kind of shit um but like you never get this information you certainly never get an owner of a company just putting it out there um i mean this was a singular story which is to me why it's so um i would say amazing but i know it's came about so it's not really amazing it's um frustrating um that the most of the press is completely ignoring the story and basically covering it um, by attacking people involved in it and not talking about the stuff. They they, they pretend like it's all a big nothing burger, which it isn't. I mean, we're going to get, I mean, I'm not even in the stuff I've covered on the show. I haven't even gotten into the main part of it, which is coming up, which is, um, you know, when we realize that it's not only the FBI, but that basically there's a... You know, a a a, a, industri- a censorship industrial complex. There is a there's a huge industry now in the U.S. of companies that work with government agencies. There's a ton of government agencies, like all of these. I mean, they have like what 17 intelligence services in the U.S. It's just like creep all over the place. And just I'm gonna do an episode on this, but just to quickly recap what this, what especially Chaibi discovered here is is basically um in the war of terror under bush and under obama um, a lot of government organizations were created and a lot lots of departments and lots of money went into fighting terrorism and when the terrorism outside of the US, and we're talking, I'm not talking like sending soldiers, I'm talking like spy work, right? I'm talking propaganda, this kind of stuff. People in Washington sitting at desks doing shit, pushing around numbers in Excel sheets, basically. But there was like millions and millions and millions of dollars flew into this stuff. And there were lots of people who were employed doing this. And when the terrorism, uh, two things happened. really, really, um, at first, um they started noticing, you know, we're talking ISIS and stuff like that, right? So there were these terror attacks by ISIS. That was one thing. But then things happened where like British teenagers, which is like normal British teenagers, they would just like leave and go to Iraq and join the IS, right? A lot of female, uh, uh, a lot of girls as well. like, and, And in the West, the, these people who were analyzing this stuff and the, the society at large didn't understand this. Like, there were lots of, like, press reports about this and people didn't understand why this was happening. And I don't want to go into why this was happening. It's really not important. But, like, that was, like, a thing that the intelligence community latched onto. Like, we need to figure out why. And they thought, and this goes together with Trump being elected, where, you know, there's this belief that, we talked about this in the previous show, that people are dumb. And you know that Trump couldn't have possibly been elected in a, just in a demo, in a democracy, just like like legitimately. There had to be like something. So they make, became convinced that this like people going to ISIS and like actually uh, sympathizing with terrorists and you know people voting for Donald Trump and Brexit had to be because of misinformation malinformation disinformation like propaganda basically um and so the other thing that happens is we the u.s kind of won the i mean the war on terrorist is such a dumb term but like terrorism as it was after like 9-11 kind of you know isis collapsed a lot of these uh terrorist groups lost a lot of power you know the russians kept destroying them as well um so it didn't become that much important. So they switched. Um these people engaged in this intelligence work in air quotes, a very dumb axle, you know, manipulation. Um and switched from a mission that was foreign to domestic in the US. They were like, okay, but now they're influencing and it's like the fake news is influencing the people and so this whole um industry, this all, this whole bureaucratic apparatus got turned to the people in the US. And this is how all of this started. This is how the FBI started policing Twitter and they had this huge JIRA they created. and It, it created this... this compl- Because, I mean, that's how government works. You know, if you ever worked in government or you've reported on it or you know people work in government, you know, it's... In, in the government, um, you don't... Um, it's not like a company, right? If, if a company has a department... And that stops being useful, which usually in companies is measured by making money. If some part of the company stops making money and continues to stop money, sooner or later it will be disbanded. People will be fired or moved to other posts, but mostly they'll be fired. Now, this doesn't happen in government. Government employees, like in Germany, you, for example, you're in many, many posts, you're employed for life in the government. it's very hard to fire you. Um, so they don't fire people, and they usually don't... Even, like, government departments never stop... Like, they don't get closed down. They get renamed and then get retasked. And this is what happened here, right? So all these people, um, they got retasked to this shit. And it's like... It's a huge thing. Because the budget keeps, keeps growing and, you know, they, they need to do something. So suddenly, they're just censoring um, the internet. And they, they're censoring their own citizens at home on on their social networks, and um, that would be bad enough. But somehow they've convinced the press at large that this is a good thing, <laughs> which is why they're not reporting on 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 Taibi and and his his colleagues discovering his this shit. They're not they're attacking him. Taibi was in fucking Congress being attacked by these douchebag <laughs> fucking Congress people um like what are you doing a so-called journalist like what the hell i mean these people don't even know like calling somebody a so-called journalist everybody's a so-called journalist you you can just have a blog and you don't even have a blog you can just call yourself a journalist that's like that's why when you want to press id card you actually have to prove that you've been publishing for somebody because anybody can call themselves a journalist um it's just like these people, it's, it's it's amazing. But like they attack they attack these these writers instead of like lauding them for discovering all this shit. Um, because somehow these government agencies and, and these NGOs and fucking Stanford University and all of these fucking cunts have convinced the public or a large part of the, well, the, the media, um, you know, uh, uh, who's influenced the public to a degree that this shit is actually good. Um, and this is very dangerous because it will, it will just, um, continue to influence our lives. I mean, I don't know if I have listeners that are like in their twenties, I might have, uh, if you listen to this podcast and you're in your twenties, you're just, you're half as old as me, right? And you've, you've been born after September 11th. So you don't understand that there was well you understand probably but you you have not experienced a time you've you've grown up your whole life, um, uh with all of society just accepting for example that that you can't take bottles of water into an airplane because somehow that's dangerous. You know that is idiotic. This so-called security measure was idiotic the the day probably like one or two days after 9-11, they introduced it. It was idiotic. It was like you had on TV at the time, you had experts in fucking aviation security saying this is dumb. You know, they were like, people were saying we need to do this because people could bring liquid explosives on a plane and blow it up. And they were like, people were like, this is dumb. If you're a terrorist and you have access to actual explosives, there are explosives that are far easier to hide. Um, and, you know, you can just, I mean, there are like... Um, like these spot checks at airports where they check you for explosive traces, right? I always get them every time. It, you know, routine search because I, I travel like with a, you know, a, a backpack that is like camo and <laughs> it's got like lots of, like it's got podcasting equipment in it half of the time or whatever so they always think I'm a fucking terrorist Um, but like, they only check like a, a percent of the people going through. All the other people can literally have fucking blocks of semtex in their bag, you know, which you can hide so that you you can't easily see them on X-ray machines, or you can just you know, you know, you don't have them like you can you can hide this shit, and you can blow fucking planes up, or you could do like the terrorists have been doing in the seventies, where you infiltrate the people working at the airport. Like the you have the cleaning people put the explosives in the plane, and then just somebody boards and blows up the plane, right? It's not like these these security measures that people in airports, the people have just accepted. They don't make any sense, but society has just accepted them. And and this is this is kind of the same thing um well it's the same thing the other way around because it's kind of like you know if snowden had leaked all the shit and the media would have gone well yeah but DCI uh the nsa does it does good stuff it's like it's good that they spy on 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 americans you know it's it's which they're kind of doing now i just recently watched uh, an episode of greenwald system update where he was talking about this new leak leak documents guy and the, the, the new leaker and whatever uh, and he was he was reading a story From a Times, New York Times author who wrote stories on the Snowden files. Like he was one of the guys who wrote a story in the Times. So the Times didn't have the Snowden archive, right? Um, The Guardian gave it to them when there was a threat by the UK government that they would seize, uh, you know, they would enter the Guardian offices and seize the files. So the Guardian gave their part of the Snowden archives to the Times. They began began reporting on it. And they reported like shit that Snowden didn't want to have rep- like Snowden was really mad. They did like stories about US spying on on the Chinese and stuff, which Snowden was always very adamant that. Like if there was legitimate spying as he called it, you know, stuff like where it's enemies of the US or whatever, that's okay. He just wanted it to like he didn't he didn't want reports on it. He didn't want to jeopardize that. He wanted reports on the NSA spying on Americans unconstitutionally. Um But like um, this very guy who did one of the stories that made Snowden Snowden really mad is now writing about this new leaker and is like writing a retrospective part of his article about Snowden and basically like saying that Snowden uh, like did something wrong and (laughs) basically should go to jail and that he didn't really was helping the public he was like um, just um, uh, in. Endangering uh, national secrets of the US and, and 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 jeopardizing national security. It's like the paper and one of the guys who got a fucking Pulitzer prize for writing about you know what Snowden revealed, you know, that 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 the NSA was illegally spying on Americans is <laughs> now like whitewashing history and 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 retroactively changing the history of what's known. like this is ten years later, this is what they do these people now. Are actively against the public, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, similar, like the Guardian. You know, people at, at the Spiegel in Germany, at the Zeit, all over the place. These in journalists are now defending the interests of the of powerful people in government and and in NGOs, who's who are doing. Secret shit behind the scenes, corrupt fucking shit. Like, you know, changing the narrative, the the trying to change what people perceive as reality to benefit companies like Pfizer and to benefit the government. And the press is protecting these people. The press is saying that that is okay. The press, the mainstream press, what these subsect people call the legacy press. They are basically working for state interests, for the interests of powerful people, powerful rich people, instead of doing what the press should do, which is working for the private citizen uh, and exposing what these guys are doing to manipulate all of our lives. And that's why the Twitter fights were so important. And this is why they're the most important story since Snowden, because like it's 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 a, it's a rare time where we get a glimpse into what is actually going on. And the press is not reporting on it. They are defending the people who, who did this shit by attacking the people who are reporting on it. It's just... It's mind-blowing. And that's why it's very, very sad that this has ended. But I guess it was Elon Musk. I really should have seen this coming. <laughs> yeah um anyway that's that's it that's uh, twitter files are over uh, not for us we're gonna i'm gonna cover everything that that's important in there and i'm gonna have many more episodes on that but yeah i wanted to update you on that and um with that let's talk about uh about some feedback i've gotten on this show <laughs> So as I said, I work for you. So an important part of that is listening to you. So if you have anything to say, please do. Um, private citizen press. Information is on there. We have a forum. Every show notes has a forum for that at the bottom that you can also start. If it's not started yet, and you can tell me shit. Um, so um, today we have two of those comments from the forum. Um, at first, in response to episode 144, uh, which was um, about you know this um this this uh st- story by jeff uh girth about you know this comprehensive review of Russia gate um so it was you know about about russia gate um and and that was episode one forty four and and in response to that johan um who's a longtime listener of mine um across several podcasts uh, several podcast projects uh, said the following thank you for this episode. I share your concerns about the quality of journalism these days, but I think this is an old problem. I recently read a book about the French Revolution, and also back then it seems that the newspapers often wrote what people wanted to read, or even what they wanted their readers to believe. I guess the only thing we can do is hoping that there will always be enough, uh, in quotes, critical thinkers around. Since all those years, there are still people left that are willing to think for themselves and keep on believing. Um, and he adds, uh, in fact, I read two books about the French Revolution by the Belgian writer Johan Op de Beek. Uh, they are a really good read for those who can understand Dutch. I will have to look them up. I hope there's English translations because my, judge, my, my, judge, my, my Dutch is suboptimal. Um, you know, I can't even order French fries correctly. I can kind of read Dutch. <laughs> Speaking is more of a problem, but like I couldn't read a whole book, I think. I haven't tried. Maybe shit. Um. Anyway, uh, Johan. Probably Johan. Johan up the back. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Thanks. Thanks, Johan. <laughs> um. Uh. Who's? Oh yeah, he's Belgian. He's, he's not Dutch, but I guess he's from the, the that writer. He's from the Dutch part of Belgium. I mean, I know Johan is from Bel- Belgium as well. Um. Yeah. I mean, I know. I know this historically, of course. I mean, I've often talked about you know the 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 time of Bismarck, which is kind of my, my what I was studying at university. And, you know, back then newspapers just belonged to a political party. So Bismarck had his own newspaper and it was just assumed by everybody that they're just the party agenda. Right. And you would just read the other newspaper as well from the other parties. And, um, and, and this, this idea that journalism should be as objective as it can be, is just something we came up with in the 20th century. Um, so yeah, I mean it was bad back then, but like, I would like for society, you know, the human race to make some progress, right? Things were even worse in the Middle Ages, where you fucking didn't have a newspaper. Uh, and so, you know, I I I find it a bit sad that we're regressing to this in some way, um, and not to like not to idolize like the journalism of the sixties and seventies or whatever it had its own problems and it was always propaganda it was always influenced by the by the government as well but like um yeah i feel like it hasn't gotten better in the last 20 years it's basically um my point and um i'm i'm it's good to see that you're optimistic and um yeah i think maybe i should be more optimistic um more often as well it's just hard to do when you're in the trenches all the time and you're seeing this up close and it's actually your your your, your job. It's like basically um, like if I was a plumber and I've just been going to houses where like people kept installing, you know, companies that install like drains or whatever kept doing it wrong. And you're like you're losing faith in humanity because, I mean, you have more work. Than ever, but you're like, can nobody fucking install a drain pipe anymore? Or whatever, it's kind of like that kind of feeling. Um, anyway, um, in in response to episode 147, sorry, my my throat is rough. Need more coffee. Which was, um, you know, I I was reporting on the Fauci paper, and then LinkedIn was kind of was 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 deleting my post saying it was misinformation. The episode about that. Fadi, who writes in quite a lot. Um, says in response to that. Sorry, and just before I get into that, Fadi, I need more coffee here. It's not because your email is boring. Uh, it's because this is way too early for me, really. Um, I'm writing this. Always. It's like eleven o'clock. <laughs> too early for me. I was I was working till like half past three last night. Um, I'm writing this almost one week after listening to the episode, so my bad memory will not help me much with the context. But here goes. I would like to start with something you said at the start of the episode. You used the expression Vac- "vaccines are good in their work." I think I understand what you want to say, but I would like to highlight a point. This is a blank blanket statement about all vaccines, which, from my point of view, brings us to some not so good territory. There are hundreds of vaccines; each of them has been studied in different ways. Only based on that data collection, that someone. It's only based on that data collection that someone can say and forgive the tautology that any particular vaccine is good and effective to the degree that it was tested or measured to be, and on average. The human body is a complex system, and the way vaccines work needs a lot of studies to be understood and sometimes not completely. Any medication should be proven and it will always have usage information attached and attached warnings and side effects. Sorry for the nitpicking. No, very important. I, I mean, I, I, that's why I call for feedback. And I like people to do that. Um, let me just, um, I think I was probably misunderstood a little bit because I was, that's my fault because I was just using a blanket statement you, as you were right. I'm just trying to not constantly go on um, on rambling side topics here um, on the show, but like what I was saying with that is that, of course, it, it was a generalization. What I meant with that is that the um, I'm not a vaccine critic as such because I I'm I'm somebody who thinks that the um, the the underlying principle of what a vaccine is and how it works is solid. And of course, they're all different. And I, I mean, I talked about this on the show a lot. You know, with the mRNA vaccines, for example, which are very, very different. They just they have got nothing in common with, well, what they're supposed to do is the same as any other vaccine. But the way they do it has nothing in common um, with anything else. Which to me isn't really that scary because my wife is, is a cutting edge biologist and like researchers cutting edge stuff so i'm kind of used to this kind of thing but like it was hilarious to me because it's basically in vitro genetic engineering it's like the thing that 10 years ago 20 years ago um, people were were very scared that we would do that to like corn and now we're doing it to people like I, i never thought it was a problem with corn as well because as far as i can tell those fears were never based on anything because the people who are afraid of that and were advocating against it actually didn't understand genetic modification. I mean, how it works and what it can do, what it can't do. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't any dangers in there. Same with vaccines. Um, you know, they can be dangerous and, and I've, I, I'm not somebody who was set from the beginning. I mean, from the very beginning, I said they have side effects. I mean, I talked very openly to this minor. There were just minor side effects that I was having, but I thought they were quite severe um, for a vaccine. You know, I was knocked out for two, three days whenever I got a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, no matter what kind of vaccine it was. Uh, But I'm also, um, uh, like, I don't know if they, like, in my particular case, if they worked, in air quotes, because, you know, um, certainly my wife got, got pretty sick when she got it, but I just got the sniffles but I don't know if that was the vaccine or if like my immune system would have reacted to this naturally. Um, but like I see, and, and I'm very critical of vaccines in a way where I think they're just drugs and they are handled in almost any jurisdiction. You're probably listening from the handled very different than drugs. So drugs have a very in the, certainly in the U S in the UK and in Germany or in all of Europe, uh, of the European union, um, uh, drugs and like drug there, there's like there's different ways to um, test and license drugs medical equipment and vaccines it's like completely different and I already don't understand the difference between medical equipment and drugs so the drug testing is quite strict uh, medical equipment really isn't because you can have like um, implanted defibrillators with like really bad it security and i've done stories about this um and i've talked to the people who actually license this stuff um you know at, at the government side and 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 I, I was always amazed how like how easy it is to license shit that is obviously like broken like generally if you if 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 a drug like if you treat the fact that somebody can hack your icd and kill you as a side effect Right, if a drug had that side, of, uh, such a severe side effect, it would not be licensed for use. And the same with vaccines. Uh, vaccines are not as, by far, not as thoroughly tested as drugs. Um, and often the companies selling them are indemnified, so they can't be sued for stuff that you would sue. Uh, you could sue uh, somebody who's, I mean, this is the same companies, right? When they put like a drug on the market. And to me, that's idiotic because a, a vaccine is a drug, <laughs> right? A drug is a something you put into your body to have an effect. Uh, that always has side effects because the body is just complicated. Um, it's a drug and it should be treated as a, as as a drug. And I think I said this on the show quite a few times because how people uh, treated the whole vaccine discussion as kind of, idiotic as well because to me that's only it's it should be discussed like a drug i.e it is something i'm doing to my body that has always has side effects you know there might be minor or or not even affect me at all but like the decision to take it is always like a a risk assessment right how bad is the thing that's going to happen to me if i don't take the drug via um versus like, what's the drug doing for me, right? And how high is the risk that I have, like, really serious side effects? Um, you know, so when when I have ha- a headache and I take an aspirin, or I have, you know, uh, a back pain and I take an ibuprofen, um, I'm doing a risk assessment because aspirin is 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 uh, is, is bad for your stomach you know, you can get stomach ulcers, ibuprofen, you can get liver failure, I believe, uh, or, you know, it's, it's a strain on your liver, so you you always, whenever you take a drug, you're going, like, okay, how bad is what I'm doing f- to my body when I take this, compared to what I'm, like, what the symptoms are that I'm I'm um, uh, experiencing, uh, and I, I believe that every, uh, adult person who can who can think a bit straight does this for every drug and to me it's just the same for any vaccine so this whole thing that you would just obviously just take the vaccine and don't ask any questions is like completely dumb to me and which is why some people term me a vaccine critic (laughs) like some journalist friends of mine as well which i am certainly not (laughs) because i I think that for the – and I've said so on the show consistently uh, since the very beginning for three years now that, that I believe that for a majority, a vast majority of people, um, the vast majority of vaccines are a good idea. But I still think you should have the right to decide what you put into your body, and I think it's always a risk assessment Um at which point I, after like the, I think I took third, uh, three uh, last episode I wasn't sure. I think I, I had three uh, COVID vaccinations, and after the third one, I, I, I to, for me I made the decision not about this. I mean this coincided with the public suddenly don't don't caring anymore if you're vaccinated or not, um, and the passports going away. But hadn't they, I would have still t- take the same decision. I was like. Every time I get, I take this, I'm like out for three days, three to four days. And I can't work for three to four days. And that's just, and so far I haven't had any indication that that SARS-CoV-2 any, does anything bad to me. So my risk assessment changed. And I was like, I'm not going to take another of these vaccines. And I'm not I'm not going to have the public force me um, or the government force me to do it because it's just from my point of view, not worth it, Um Anyway, that's a long-winded way of probably explaining what I meant by this, and I generally think I agree with you, right? If we talk about this in detail, we have to look at, like, you know, you have to look at, does it make sense for the person? How? What is this vaccine? How does it work? How was it tested? What do we know about it? Like, for example, I always said that, that kids, like, it's, it, it's from everything I've seen, from all the data I've seen, it's idiotic to get give kids the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Because the 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 number of kids that actually get sick in any meaningful way aside you know beyond and by kids I mean like up to like oh, I don't know eight years old or whatever um, you know when they get when you get older when you get into teens the, the story changes but like up to like eight years old if you look at the numbers there's like there there's so little um, and we have huge numbers now right we have a huge body of data. Um, but from what I can tell and what I've read in 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 cutting edge papers and you know um, very high level journals about this kind of thing, um, you know, it's the, the the amount of kids that got seriously sick is like, it's so small it, it's almost like if we hadn't that much data. If you have like a normal study in this kind of thing, a, a a number that small wouldn't even be in the paper because it would be classed as like a like it could very well be a statistic anomaly. Um, that's not saying that kids haven't died and that there can't be serious consequences. But if you do a risk assessment, you go like, how likely is it that my kid gets sick from this? You know, compared to how many kids get side effects from the vaccine, I would as a, I'm not putting out medical advice here. Obviously, I hope that's obvious. (laughs) I'm a fucking freelance journalist, Uh, not a doctor. Um, but like, if I had kids, I would have gone no. I mean, I don't see the point here. So I think everything, you know, you you need to discuss all these things. So no, your nitpicking, Fadi is um, is well received. Anyway, uh, he he uh, said something something more. Um, continuing in his message here. Now switching to another topic. Before listening to the episode, I had a topic that I wanted to share, but you raised it in the latter part of the episode. The topic came to mind while listening to, to a Sam Harris podcast. He chose to start his episode by warning against the statement, do your own research. In summary, he wanted to remind of the importance of experts and to warn of the dangers of hobbyist science. In the latter part of the episode, you raised the same topic and how different actors are trying to monopolize the truth. And we come to what I usually term truth by decree. Of course, none of us can be experts in everything. So we have to delegate finding finding truth to uh, to finding others that we trust. But we should always be wary of this choice and from time to time try to revisit this decision. Um, I agree. I don't really know who Sam Harris is. I've heard about him. I don't think I've ever listened to one of his podcasts. But like, I think there are a lot of people, especially in the mainstream press, who are saying like do this own research stuff is dangerous. And I've always vehemently disagreed with this. Like people say like hobbyist science. There is no such thing as hobbyist science, right? Being a scientist is very much like being a journalist. It comes down to you deciding that you are a scientist, right? Um, I mean, yes. If you work in the field that let's say my wife works in, Which is like cell biology. Uh, You need a lab, right? You need equipment that costs millions and millions of dollars. Like these fucking microscopes cost like 60, 70, 100 million dollars. You need access to uh, basically body parts from people. So you need to be connected to a hospital like you need people to and un- when they undergo an operation to sign that you can use their stuff for science like you just don't get like people's hearts <laughs> if you're not <laughs> if you're at, a, at a medical university or whatever um and and also uh, quite often in these fields you do animal testing uh, <laughs> because you know putting random things into a body you just really don't want to do that to humans um, You don't want to end up being Marie Curie either. So, um, yeah, and, and that's very strictly regulated. So you just can't do that at home, right? But let's say you're a theoretical physicist. You need to be really smart, but you can do that at the home, right? I mean, uh, okay, yeah, you know, there, there's some people who do, like, astrophysics and you need, like, a telescope or whatever, but, like... Or I'm a, you know, I'm a humanities student. So all the science I was concerned with, history, politics, you can do from home. You don't have to be at a university. I mean, it helps because you get access to archives, but you can also get access to archives as just a private person. Uh, it might be harder. You know, some of the stuff that's under lock and key, they probably won't let you in easily. You need to prove that you trustworthy. That's usually done by, like, being attached to a university. But, like science is a mindset and yeah what these people probably mean is that if you don't know what you're talking about and you want guidance um like doing your own research really doesn't help and 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 just listening to somebody who's who's writing something on an internet forum is probably not a good call um you know if 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 you you are concerned for example i mean this is something <laughs> I often have clashes with my parents about who are very intelligent. Um, but, you know, they, they often do their own research when it comes to something like diseases, right? And then, I mean, I think it's good if you go to a doctor and, and you're somewhat informed. But you need to understand that these people are very specialized people that that know, generally know what they're talking about and, and you looking shit up on WebMD or whatever is not going to be on the same level. I mean, sometimes you can, like, sometimes doctors are lazy or they're just bad. And you, if you're informed and you know what you're doing, it's always good to be an informed patient. <clears throat> and I feel like the good doctors will not be annoyed at that. The people who are annoyed that you looked up something on the internet, I think, are insecure in their knowledge. And you probably shouldn't listen to them. Um, but, you know, sometimes you also look up dumb shit. I mean, as IT people, a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably IT nerds. You know this, right? Um uh you know if you' simple things like building your own computer right it's uh, the experience counts for something like somebody who tries to build their own computer is looking up shit on some article online will make some horrendous mistakes, and that goes same for everything but I think generally the mindset if you have the mindset, do your own research right what what this podcast is about do your own research, think for yourself that is the scientific mindset. If you're against that, on a very high level, you are against scientific science. You're, you're anti-science. Somebody once said, I can't remember, I think I talked about this on the show before, it's like some author, um, that, that science, when you boil it down to, is the um, actual, actual science, is the mindset of not trusting experts. You know, and, and and assuming that experts are always wrong. That's how scientific dis- discoveries are made. I mean, there's lots of scientists who are just working their whole lives um, just furthering the scientific consensus. But those are not the scientists that win Nobel Prizes, that are remembered forever um, in the annals of science. Those are the people that think outside the box, that discover new things, that get declared as crazy, Um you know, you don't become Albert Einstein by just studying what other people think how the universe works. You are Albert Einstein because you are a bit crazy and very intelligent and you go like, well, maybe the world works like this because nobody has ever thought about this. And then lots of people will call you crazy all the time, including some colleagues. right? And then you have like bets with or if you're like with Stephen Hawking, you have bets with people. About you know you say okay this is this is a black hole and people go like black hole are you cr-? it's a crazy idea you mean there's so much gravity that it sucks in light and like that would never work and and then then it turns out you're probably right um, you know the the people who who figured out how to split the atom um, all of this these these are not people beholden to other experts right. Um, the people who discovered this very mRNA vaccine, right? They were like, let's use this technique that's been, never been used for something, for something completely different. You're <laughs> like, probably like, that's dangerous. That's like, that will never work. That is crazy. Uh, and, and suddenly you have a a, a new thing, um, right? Like the, the very guy, Nobel, who invented dynamite, like the way he invented dynamite, read up on that. Like there's, these are all people did their own research, and to think that you can only do that when you like a, a, a scientific person—you have a lab coat and you have a badge—and you you're at Stanford University—that's um, dumb. But as with everything, we need a balance. That doesn't mean you you can't trust experts, right? If my heart starts making starts doing crazy stuff tomorrow, I'm not going on the internet. Right. I'm going to a cardiologist, (laughs) you know, or if like, I don't know uh, if I somebody rams me off my bike and my foot shatters in 50,000 pieces, I'm not going to swig a bottle of whiskey and and start sewing my foot back together. I'm going to a fucking hospital to somebody who does that every day, an expert, and let them handle it. Right. What we're just saying on this podcast is that um, some of these experts, especially journalists, they're not experts. Uh, they, you know, we, if 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 the New York Times or Der Spiegel tells me how I should live my life because of climate change, um, they're not experts in climate science. They're not experts in how people live their lives. They're journalists. Journalists are general. Generalists, right they're the very opposite of experts. Journalists are people who try to figure out what experts do in thirty minutes and then try to explain it to the public, which is something I like doing, um, and it's very hard to do as well to do well. Um, it's It's in many respects harder than being an expert on a topic um, you know that you've to dedicate your whole life to. Um, but yeah, anyway that's my it's my opinion on that but we can further discuss this uh fadi if you want to um or anybody else um you know let me know um privates press um go to the uh the the contact link at the top where you know sign up to the forum and 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 let's let's discuss this shit Anyway, speaking of journalism, i got stories to write, so I need to get the shit out of here. Um, thanks to my patrons. Um, you can sign up to Patreon and support the show. It's what keeps me going. Um, please consider doing it. You don't have to, but it'll help. Um, so thanks to the people who are doing this. Thanks to my showrunner, Gal Taren, executive producers, one Eye, 11 g Butterbeans, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Rizel, Sandman616. My supervising producers, Avis, A- Avis Bennett Piata, Dave, IKN, Jackie Plaish, Jonathan M. Hetai, Krunkle, Michael Mullen Jensen, Robert Forster, and Tobias Weber. Producers, Andrew Davidson, Astral C, Cam, Captain Eckhead, David Porter, Dirk Didi, Fadi Mansour, Florian Pigosh, Joe Paulzer, Mika, Mr. Amish, Rick Brank, and RJ Tracy. And also thanks to my associate producers, every little bit helps. D, Jonathan, and Kaisiers, Ricky M, Steve Hose, and Vlad. And that's it. Oh, uh, also thanks to ByteMark at bytemark.co.uk for the bandwidth uh, and the hosting of the show files. They're not hosting the website. They're just hosting the audio files, but that's more important, really. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks to ByteMark. They're great people doing great things for free speech, which is very rare these days. So please support them. Um, that's it. Uh, the the song I use at the start of the show is called "Acoustic Roots" by Ru Kabazali, and uh, for a long time now I've been using a different song at the end of the episode. And for today, it's going to be a song called "Family Fun Fitness" by Lupus Nocte. So some some uh, synth synth wave. Um, hope you enjoy that, and I'll see you soon. Uh, hopefully, like next week. Uh, maybe no, I don't think I can do Wednesday. But you know, I'll I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it going, and we'll probably continue with the Twitter files until unless something else happens, which you know, these days who knows? There's this uh, uh, Pentagon leak story. We might have to cover that first. We'll see. Um, We'll see when I do it how how it goes. Um, But you know, I'm committed. I'll get you more podcast episodes. I hope you enjoy the show. Let me know. Go to private private citizen press. Otherwise, aim. To misbehave.